Chapter 32 The Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth, Mountaineer, Scout, and Pioneer, and Chief of the Crow Nation of Indians. Written from his own dictation by T.D. Bonner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I had now accumulated a considerable sum of money, and thought I might as well put it to some use for my own profit as risk my life in the service of others, while they derived the lion's share from my industry. It was now about three years since I had left St. Louis on my present excursion, and I began to weary of the monotony of my life. I was within five days' journey of New Mexico, and I determined upon going to take a look at the northern portion of this unbounded territory. I had but one man with me, named Charles Town, when I started upon my new exploration. On our road thither, we passed near to a Utah village, and two or three of their warriors presented themselves before us to hold a parley, while the chief sat down on a log close by. They said, as we reined in our horses for a moment, You make our paths bad by coming into our country. You will go back and tell the Cheyennes and Arapahoes where we are. They will then come and kill us and steal our horses. Come here. Our chief wants to see you. This was spoken in tolerably good Spanish. Come on, said I, addressing my companion. Let us not be annoyed by these trifling Indians. And I urged my horse against the Indian spokesman, knocking him into the dirt. He arose, exclaiming, Ha! Shawnee! We then rode on without further molestation, they evidently mistaking me for a Shawnee. They had robbed several white men, and after beating them savagely, had liberated them. I had no manner of fear of them, for I knew them to be great cowards. With one hundred and fifty good crow warriors, I would have chased a thousand of them. We passed on into St. Fernandez, and found quite a number of American traders there, established in business and supplying both mountaineers and Indians with goods. Here I encountered an old acquaintance named Lee, with whom I entered into partnership. We purchased 100 gallons of alcohol and a stock of fancy articles to return to the Indian country and trade for robes and other peltry. We visited the Cheyennes on the south fork of the Platte. We passed Bent's Fort on our way thither. He hailed us and inquired where we were going. I informed him that we were on our way to the Cheyenne village. He begged me not to go, as I valued my safety. It was only the day previous, he said, that he had traded with them, and bought eighteen horses from their village. They came the next morning and took them forcibly back, and threatened him with their guns if he said a word against their proceedings. 
I replied to him that I anticipated no danger and left him to pass on to their village. The Indians were delighted at my arrival. I had heard that the whooping cough was very prevalent among the children, and as we happened to have several bushels of corn and beans and a large quantity of dried pumpkins, we could not have come at a more opportune moment. I told the Indians, in answer to their welcome, that I had come back to see them because I had heard their children were all sick. I called attention to my stock of vegetable esculents as being best adapted for food for their children and the best calculated to restore them to health. Besides, I added, I have brought a little whiskey along to put good life into your hearts. They were then in their sobered feelings, which will return to them after their carousals, and which present so dangerous a time to the trader. Their horses were all away, their robes were gone, and they had nothing to show in return for them. Their children were sick and dying, their wives mourning and half-distracted, and they could obtain nothing at the fort to alleviate their sufferings. I could understand the whole corollary of incidents. Like their intemperate white brethren, who will occasionally review matters after a prolonged spree, and who will see the effects of their dissipation in their desolate homes, their heartbroken wives, and their ragged and starving children. What are their feelings at such a contemplation? Unquestionably hostility against the cause of this destitution, whether they recognize it in themselves, the willing instruments, or the liquor that infatuated them, or the dealer that supplied it to them. The Indians seem to have one circle of reasoning, and invariably vent their spleen upon the traitor. It was this reactionary feeling that had led the Indians to recover, by force of arms, the horses they had parted with previously. I knew better how to manage them. I deposited my goods at Old Bark's Lodge, who felt highly honored with the trust. The villagers collected round, and a dispute arose among them whether the whiskey should be broached or not. Porcupine Bear objected, and Bobtailed Horse, his brother-in-law, strongly advocated my opening the kegs. This led to a warm altercation between the two warriors, until the disputed question was to be decided by the arbitrament of battle. They both left the lodge to prepare for the combat, and returned in a few minutes fully armed and equipped. Porcupine Bear argued his cause in the following strain. Cheyennes, look at me and listen well to my words. I am now about to fight my brother. I shall fight him and shall kill him if I can. In doing this, I do not fight my brother, but I fight the greatest enemy of my people. Once, we were a great and powerful nation. Our hearts were proud, and our arms were strong. 
But a few winters ago, all other tribes feared us. Now, the Pawnees dare to cross our hunting grounds and kill our buffalo. Once, we could beat the crows and unaided destroy their village. Now, we call other villages to our assistance and we cannot defend ourselves from the assaults of the enemy. How is this, Cheyennes? The crows drink no whiskey. The earnings of their hunters and toils of their women are bartered to the white man for weapons and ammunition. This keeps them powerful and dreaded by their enemies. We kill buffalo by the thousands. Our women's hands are sore with dressing the robes. And what do we part with them to the white trader for? We pay them for the white man's firewater, which turns our brains upside down, which makes our hearts black and renders our arms weak. It takes away our warrior skill and makes them shoot wrong in battle. Our enemies who drink no whiskey, when they shoot, always kill their foe. We have no ammunition to encounter our foes, and we have become as dogs, which have nothing but their teeth. Our prairies were once covered with horses, as the trees are covered with leaves. Where are they now? Ask the crows, who drink no whiskey. When we are all drunk, they come and take them before our eyes. Our legs are helpless, and we cannot follow them. We are only fearful to our women, who take up their children and conceal themselves among the rocks in the forest. For we are wolves in our lodges. We growl at them like bears when they are famishing. Our children are now sick, and our women are weak with watching. Let us not scare them away from our lodges with their sick children in their arms. The Great Spirit will be offended at it. I had rather go to the great and happy hunting ground now than live and see the downfall of my nation. Our fires begin to burn dim and will soon go out entirely. My people are becoming like the Pawnees. They buy the whiskey of the trader, and because he is weak and not able to fight them, they go and steal from his lodge. I say, let us buy of the crow what is useful and good, but his whiskey we will not touch. Let him take that away with him. I have spoken all I have to say, and if my brother wishes to kill me for it, I am ready to die. I will go and sit with my fathers in the spirit land where I shall soon point down to the last expiring fire of the Cheyenne. And when they inquire the cause of this decline of their people, I will tell them with a straight tongue 
that it was the firewater of the traitor that put it out. Old Bark then advanced between the two belligerents and thus spoke. Cheyennes, I am your great chief. You know me. My word this day shall be obeyed. The crow has come among us again and has brought us good things that we need. He has also brought us a little whiskey. He is poor while we are yet strong, and we will buy all he has brought with him. This day we will drink. It will make us merry and feel good to one another. We will all drink this once, but we will not act like fools. We will not quarrel and fight and frighten our women and children. Now, warriors, give me your weapons. This fiat admitted no appeal. It was law and gospel to his people. Disobedience to his command subjected the offender to immediate death at the hands of the dog soldiers. The warriors delivered up their battle axes, and the old chief handed them to me. Crow, said he, take these weapons that I have taken from my two children. Keep them until we have drunk up your whiskey, and let no one have them till I bid you. Now, Crow, we are ready. Slimface and Greyhead, two dog soldiers, then harangued the village and desired all who wished to trade to come and bring their robes and horses to Old Bark's lodge, and to remember that they were trading with the honest crow, and not with white men, and that what they paid him was his. They answered the summons in flocks. The women first, according to my established rule. My corn, beans, and pumpkins exhaled like the dew, and I received in exchange their beautiful fancy robes. The women served, the men next came in for whiskey. I sold on credit to some. When one wanted thus to deal, he would tell me what kind of horse or mule he had. I would appeal to Old Bark for confirmation of the statement. If he verified it, I served the liquor. They all got drunk, Porcupine Bear, the temperance orator, with the rest. But there was not a single fight, all passed off harmoniously. I received over four hundred splendid robes, besides moccasins and fancy articles. When I was ready to leave, thirty-eight horses and mules a number corresponding to what I had marked, were brought forward. I packed up my peltry and sent my partner on in advance with everything except the horse I rode, telling him I would overtake him shortly. I had reserved a five-gallon keg of whiskey unknown to all, and when about to start I produced it and presented it to the crowd. They were charmed and insisted on making me a return. They brought me over forty of their finest robes, 
such as the young squaws finish with immense labor to present to their lovers. Old Bark gave me a good mule to pack them, and another chief gave me a second. I then took my leave, promising to return by Leaf Fall. When I passed Bent at his post, he was perfectly confounded. He had seen one train pass belonging to me, and now I was conducting another, when at the same time he had supposed that there was not a robe in the village. Beckworth, said he, how you manage Indians, as you do, beats my understanding. I told him that it was easily accounted for, that the Indians knew that the whites cheated them, and knew that they could believe what I said. Besides that, they naturally felt superior confidence in me on account of my supposed affinity of race. I had lived so much among them that I could enter into their feelings and be in every respect one of themselves. This was an inducement which no acknowledged white trader could ever hope to hold out. I rode on and overtook my partner in advance. He had had an adventure. A party of Cheyennes, led by a chief named Three Crows, had met him and rifled him of a three-gallon keg of whiskey, which we had reserved for our own use on our way to St. Fernandez. The chief stopped him and said, I smell whiskey, and we must have some. My partner told him that he had none. Ugh, my nose don't lie, but your tongue does. I smell it strong, and if you do not hand it out, we shall unpack all your horses and find it. Well, said the man, I have a little, but it belongs to the crow, and he wants it himself. Give it me said the chief, and tell him that three crows took it. There was no alternative, and he gave him the keg. They carried it along until they came to a creek, where they sat down and had a jollification. I passed them while they were in the midst of it, but did not see them, although they saw me. When I met the chief, sometime subsequently, and charged him with the larceny, he gave me ten robes and a good horse to compound the felony. We shot several buffalo on our way, enough to load all our horses with meat and tallow. We exchanged our effects in Santa Fe for goods and carried them to St. Fernandez, a distance of sixty miles. Here we established a store as our headquarters for the Indian trade, where I resided some time, living very fast and happily, according to the manner of the inhabitants. Among other doings, I got married to Senorita Louise Sandoval. In the fall, I returned to the Indian country, taking my wife with me. We reached the Arkansas about the 1st of October, 1842, where I erected a trading post and opened a successful business. 
In a very short time, I was joined by from 15 to 20 free trappers with their families. We all united our labors and constructed an adobe fort 60 yards square. By the following spring, we had grown into quite a little settlement, and we gave it the name of Pueblo. Many of the company devoted themselves to agriculture and raised very good crops the first season, such as wheat, corn, oats, potatoes, and an abundance of almost all kinds of vegetables. When the spring trade was over, I sent all my peltry to Independence and bought with the proceeds $3,000 worth of articles suitable for the trade in New Mexico. But on the arrival of the goods, the whole country was in a ferment on account of Colonel Cook's expedition from Texas, which resulted so disastrously for the parties concerned. This affected the minds of the New Mexicans unfavorably for my interest, inasmuch as their former preference for United States novelties was now turned into a strong repugnance for everything American. I therefore could obtain no sale for my goods and determined to return to my Indian friends. I bought a load of whiskey to trade for horses to pack my goods to California, where I intended removing. I succeeded in my adventure and obtained 40 horses and mules, upon which I packed my merchandise and quickly found myself on the way to the Golden State. I started with 15 men, three of whom were Mexicans. When I reached the Utah country, I found that the Indians were waging exterminating war upon the Mexicans, but I did not learn it in time to save the lives of my three unhappy followers, who, lagging too far in the rear, were set upon by the Indians and slain. In passing through their country, I did considerable trading, exchanging my merchandise for elk, deer, and antelope skins, very beautifully dressed. I arrived in Pueblo de Angeles, California, in January 1844. There, I indulged my new passion for trade and did a very profitable business for several months. At the breaking out of the revolution in 1845, I took an active part against the mother country, of which I will furnish some details in my next chapter. End of chapter 32